Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. What's Wagner's rule of life number four? <laughs> Nothing good happens outside a strip club at 2 o'clock in the morning. I'm sorry, I understand I might be like a dog with a bone on this, but this is just fundamentally wrong. It is an insult, but let's tee this up. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 414-799-1620. I'm sorry, I think this is absolutely Absolutely ridiculous. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. All right, the breaking news is a federal jury in Milwaukee returning a $6 million verdict against three lead, three companies that in the past had made lead paint. Let me explain this to you because I will tell you at the outset, I, I, am I surprised at the verdict? No. Is this a case, though, where justice was done? And I will tell you honestly, I have a lot of trouble with that. Now, let, let's let's back up and let me explain to you how we got to the, this point. Lead paint in household paint was common in the early parts of the 20th century. Lead paint, lead in household paint, was outlawed in 1978. So none of these paint manufacturers have produced paint for homes that have lead in them since 1978. All right, so that's what you have to keep in mind. They still, I guess there's some lead paint that's made that they use for um, marking highway strips. But but no, no home built since 1978 would have lead paint in it, all right? At the same time, if you own a, a home that was built before 1978, it is possible that, that there is some paint with lead in it um, on, on the walls because this it was a common thing. It was a standard. This is the paint that, that builders and such, such used. We also understand the basic premise that it's not good to eat lead paint. And yet what would happen is, especially in some you know, urban areas, you know, you'd have kids that would grab paint chips and they'd eat the paint chips and they'd suffer lead poisoning. All right. So what happened was you had a number of lawyers who got together and they wanted to sue the lead paint industry, saying that they were making a defective, dangerous product, despite the fact that this was kind of the state of the art at the time. Here's the problem that a lot of these lawsuits faced. And that was that normally when you file a lawsuit and you say that you have been hurt by something, you have to identify who made that something. For example, let's say you're, you're driving a car and the brakes fail because they're defective brakes. Well, you, you have to prove, okay, this is the car. I was driving a Ford. And I went and I hit the brakes and the brakes were defective and the brakes were made by the ABC brake company. So you sue the ABC brake company and you sue Ford. You were driving the Ford, the brakes made by the ABC brake company failed. You were riding a bicycle and the bicycle fell apart. Well, you don't sue all the bicycle manufacturers. You sue whoever it was that made your bicycle, right? That's the key to, in general, that's the key to bringing lawsuits for liability or for anything, really. You you go after the person or the company or whatever who did the thing that hurt you. Okay, the problem with the lead paint cases, though, is that there were a lot of manufacturers that made lead paint. 
And so the, the lawyers that wanted to bring suits on behalf of clients who had ingested paint chips years ago, they were faced with a problem because there's all these companies that, that made lead paint. And the, the, the houses in many cases were gone long ago. The lead paint it was pretty much the same. You know, the you know, Gru's lead paint company pretty much made pretty much made the same kind of lead paint that I made. So you'd have this problem. You, you, somebody had lead poisoning. Some kid ate the paint chips. But then you would have to prove whose paint chips they ate. And it was almost impossible to do that. So in Wisconsin... Uh, Wisconsin, the Wisconsin Supreme Court, in what I think was a very, very bad decision, back in 2005, came up with this theory called a risk contribution theory. And what they said, and I'm paraphrasing this a little bit, but they said, if you want to sue the paint industry, you don't have to prove whose paint it was that poisoned you. You can sue all the companies that made the paint. And then as long as you can prove that you were poisoned by lead paint, you will recover unless the paint company can prove that it couldn't have been their paint that did it. Follow me? So, the, the you know, essentially it turned the whole idea of, of proof on its head. And, you know, once you prove that, yeah, you, you were lead poisoned and you ingested the paint, et cetera, the paint chips or whatever, it, it then became the burden of the paint companies to prove that, 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 that their paint company, their paint wasn't involved. And what happens is you would get a verdict and all the paint companies you sue would have to share a portion of this. Okay, so that was 2005, and it opened the door for all these people to jump in in Wisconsin and say, hey, th- this is, you know, we, we suffered lead paint poisoning. This is our chance because now we can jump in and we don't have to prove what company it was poisoned us. Boom, we'll be able to recover. In 2011, the legislature got rid of that. They said, no, this risk contribution theory, this this is just too far of a stretch. It turns the whole idea of having to prove that you were harmed on its head. So they did away with this. But there's a subsequent court case which said that for the cases that were filed between 2005, when the Supreme Court came up with this risk contribution theory, up until the time the law was repealed, those that were filed, they, they could go to trial. And this was the first one. So what happened was the plaintiffs came in and they said, hey, you know, we were subject to lead poisoning. They sued four, I believe, four different paint manufacturers. And then the paint manufacturers had the burden of proving that, no, it couldn't have been our paint. One of the four manufacturers apparently did that, and they were able to establish that they brought in all their sales records, and they, they said, look, in many cases, these paint companies have been sold many times you know, since the 70s, but this one paint company came in and said, look, th- these are our sales records. There's no evidence that we sold to anybody in the Milwaukee market. We have no evidence that we advertised at all in the Milwaukee market. And they were found to be not liable. The other three couldn't meet that burden of proof, and so they were held liable. This is the first of what it will be, I think there's over a 100 of these plaintiffs that are, that are lined up to try these cases based on this risk contribution theory. And I guess when I, I started this conversation off by saying I, I have real issues about the, the whole justice of this, and this is just a personal assessment. Again, I, 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 I think 
it, it's clearly unfortunate and tragic that some of these people, you know, ate the paint chips as toddlers and had lead poisoning. I don't mean to, I don't mean to downplay that. I guess part of the thing I have though is, first of all, this was a standard in the industry that was used for decades and decades, and the fact that you subsequently determine that there's this issue. I have trouble with figuring out how fair it is to hold the paint companies liable. More importantly, though, I, I have a lot of trouble saying that somebody, in this case, it's, and I understand the paint companies are unsympathetic. The people who ingested the paint chips and suffer from lead poisoning, they are. But I just fundamentally have a problem with fairness in saying you can't, you company, you individual, you know, you whatever, can be held liable without somebody having to prove that it was actually your product that harmed them, you know, and and switching the burden and saying, well, you know, you would have to, Jeff, you're going to be held responsible unless you can prove not that there was paint on that, that you just, it couldn't have been your paint that was on the the wall when it could have been, in fact, any one of five or 10 or 15 or however many different companies that made it. In any event, um, I think this case will probably go up on appeal. There's lots of legal issues. But um, this is probably a precursor because, like I say, all those cases that came in between 2005 and 2011, they're going to proceed. And my guess is a lot of them are going to have the the same sort of outcome as this one did today in federal court. People can decide whether it's fair or not. Speaking of that, when we come back, it is the big story of the day. The stock market in the tank yet again. Not because the economy is necessarily bad, but because, well, President Trump continues to have hissy fits. We will discuss. Stick around. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. Group producing the show today and always. Did I do a good job of explaining that, that lead paint case and how people, I'm getting... Yeah, right. I was I was unfamiliar with it. Yeah, so it see, makes sense. Uh, right? No, people were sending me text saying I did it. I, I was trying it because it, it's kind of it's kind of complicated, and it, it, but it is what, what's always bothered me was I think the Supreme Court decision in two, by the state in two thousand five was just wrong. This risk contribution theory, because again, I think you should have to be able. If I'm going to say you did something or you manufactured a product that injured me, I think. Somebody should have to, and this is how it is in almost every example of the law, you have to prove that it was your product that, that injured someone, not the idea that, hey, you made a product that was similar to one that injured me. So that, that's that's the fundamental problem that I end up having with this. Hey, I'm excited about tonight. Just a, a quick programming note um, for TV. Tonight, 7 o'clock, if you have HBO, now it's not Game of Thrones, the Deadwood movie. Um, premieres. They, if I, I'm, I'm a, I, I love, of course, as you know, we, we do Pop Culture Corner every week, and I'm a huge fan of TV. I think, you know, one of the great HBO TV series that ran for three years was a TV show called Deadwood, which was set in like 1878 or 1888 in, in, in Deadwood, and it was just really, really good. It ran for three years, and then it kind of got a surprise cancellation. Nobody, and left everything kind of up in the air. Well, they've been talking about doing a reunion or a movie or whatever, and finally they were able to, and this shows you how much people love this, including the people that worked on it, they were able to get most of the cast together. Now, a couple cast members have died over the course of the last you know, 10 years, but they were able to get most of the cast members together, and they filmed a, a Deadwood movie that picks up 10 years 
you know, from where the last show ended up. And I, I, I mean, I haven't seen it. I've read some reviews of it that say that, you know, it gives closure to some of the characters, et cetera, et cetera. But if you're a fan of Deadwood, um, that that movie airs for the first time tonight at seven o'clock. Now, I've got some plans, but I guarantee you the DVR is going to be rolling because for a lot of us, it's we've been waiting ten years to see at least some sort of some sense of conclusion to you know all these characters and apparently most of the original cast came back some some are featured more than others but uh, Deadwood tonight seven o'clock on HBO okay uh, as we speak the Dow Jones Industrial Average is down two hundred and fifty nine points now let me give you some perspective right now it's at twenty four thousand nine hundred. On May 1st, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was at 26,400. So it, it's, it's down about 1,500 points for the month. And it's been on a pretty much consistent losing streak over the last several weeks. The NASDAQ composite, which is more tech stocks, uh, it's down 83 today. It's at 74.84. Let's call it 7,500. Um, May 1st, it was at 8,050. So it's down about 500 points, which is a significant percentage decrease. And again, there's been weeks and weeks of, of losing. When did the losing on the Dow and the NASDAQ start? Well, it started when President Trump began by sending out tweets saying that he was going to start imposing tariffs on, on China. And then China retaliated, and so now you have you know, an economy that was doing pretty well, now everybody's kind of freaked out. Well, today, the president kind of doubled down because the president is frustrated. He doesn't believe Mexico is doing enough to stop the flow of people illegally coming from Mexico into the U.S. And so in a, mo- in a move that has nothing to do with trade, not, at least, you know, with the China stuff, he's concerned about unfair trade practices with China. And so his response is, OK, I'm going to start this trade war. And yes, it's going to hurt the U.S., but I think it'll hurt China more and we'll, we'll just deal with it. With Mexico today, the imposition of tariffs and the president said, you know, he's going to start immediately um, imposing a 5% tariff, and it's going to increase, you know, ov- over time um, if if Mexico doesn't start cracking down on illegal immigration. And, of course, again, unlike what was going on with China, where at least it was, we think we're going to use tra- tariffs to try to get them to change their trade practices, um, with Mexico, we're using economic pressure, these trade tariffs, as a way of trying to get Mexico to toe the line on cracking down on illegal migration. In other words, it's got nothing to do with reciprocal trade. Mexico is a huge trading partner of the United States, and this decision today is freaking a lot of people out, and specifically in Wisconsin, where, again, the, the, the trade war with China has hurt Wisconsin particularly badly because a lot of Wisconsin agricultural products were shipped over to China. And now because of the tariffs and the reciprocal tariffs, it, it, it's the Wisconsin farmers are losing business. This is going to be the same thing with Mexico. Our number is 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, every time I talk about this, I always get an email or two or a text or two saying, Jeff, 
Who cares if the stock market is down 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 points? What does it matter if your retirement account is down 10 or 15%? You know, it'll come back at some point in time. This is an opportunity to buy, which, of course, only makes sense if you're sitting there with a couple million dollars on cash on the sideline waiting, or you know how to time a market, which almost nobody does. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, look, I, I... I am not as critical of the president as many are. I, I'm, I'm just not. But in this idea of using tariffs to try to, I don't know, influence foreign policy, I think this guy is on the verge of destroying this economy. And, and you know, I think he is doing damage that it's going to take years for us to recover from. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage talk and text line. And I think Republicans in Congress need to rise up and start to rein this in. And these trade wars, particularly for people in Wisconsin, are extremely bad. And I understand, you know, we're trying to work out, you know, taxpayer bailouts for some farmers who are being hurt, but but that's that's a band-aid on a gaping wound. 4147991620. All right, do you support using tariffs to try to influence foreign policy? Do you believe the president knows what he's doing? We discuss in just a moment, and I have to tell you, I am skeptical about this. I've never thought trade wars work, and using trade wars and the threat of trade, putting the economy of the United States on the line and at risk because you're trying to affect immigration policy, I think is dangerous in the extreme. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Here's a text to start us off. Jeff, Republicans used to promote free trade free markets and capitalism. Now they engage in restrictive trade and government subsidies to make up for the harm. This is a very different Republican Party. Well, it it is. Um, It it is. And I I think, you know, if this were Barack Obama trying to impose tariffs, you'd have a lot of Republicans in the Senate that would be screaming. Here's a text from Mike in Waukesha. How come the executive branch branch can raise tariffs on a whim without approval from Congress? Well, that's, that's, of course, an interesting question because we pay for this. We, I mean you and me, pay for the tariffs because when you impose tariffs, it raises the cost of goods. So, because it's it's passed on ultimately to the consumer. So this this is effectively, it is a tax because we ultimately end up paying it. And, right, Congress didn't vote for it. Okay, 414-799-1620. This will be an interesting conversation. Let's start with Mark in Kenosha. Mark, you're first. Hello. Hey, thanks for having me on the show. Sure. Yeah. You know, my thought on this is anybody who's paid close attention to Donald Trump's business dealings, and I'm not talking recently, I'm talking even as far back as the 80s and stuff, uh, his way of doing business is is to slide on by and skate on by, and he's never really paid the full cost for anything. All that money he lost in the 80s, that was the bank's money, not his personal money. He's used to everybody else footing the bill, and, and actually he hasn't really lost that much personally himself. And I don't think that's going to change with this because he's, again, not the one that's personally footing the bill. It's everybody else that's footing it. 
and that's just his way of doing business. And if anybody hasn't learned that, well, time to pay attention because well, well, what about the, What about the question, though, that you know the U.S. is an economic power, and if we don't think Mexico, for example, is doing enough to stop the flow of illegal aliens, what, illegal immigrants, what, what's wrong with using our economic power to to hit them over the head and force and try to force them to do something? It's because they're a completely separate policy. It's a, a separate uh, wing entirely of the, the country, and you're going to have a bunch of repercussions that yeah. you're not expecting because, you know, it's not, uh, it's not just a, a stick that we hit them with. It's a double-edged sword because it hurts us, too. Yes. And Donald Trump is, is a businessman, not a politician. I keep hearing that. But what kind of businessman is he? Uh, there's a, a famous story that goes around that... Uh, he, he bought a bunch of, well, it wasn't him person, but his casinos. They bought a bunch of pianos from a piano guy, and then they never paid the piano guy the full amount. And after going back and forth with them, they finally offered him like a, a much smaller percentage of what they actually owed for the, per, for the items they bought. And that piano guy never got the full amount for what he did. And that's the price of doing business with Donald Trump. You're going to get screwed over. It's just whether or not you see it before it's too late. Now, thanks. I, now, I will say this. I have a couple acquaintances who, in, in years past, were peripherally in, involved or had the potential to get involved with Donald Trump in business. And this was decades ago. And, and they, they all said the, the word was, you just stay away from this guy. <laughs> but 414-799-1620, let's talk to Lee in Dousman. Hi, Lee. You're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. How are you doing? Good. What do you think? I think that we finally have a president that's uh, trying to do something and trying to address the problem rather than uh, sweep it under the rug. Uh, the market is edgy. You know, and why is that? Well, people like you, Jeff, you know, they, they, they see this and they, they flip out. They don't look at the long-term objective. Uh, I'm retired. I'm invested. Are my, are my investments taking a hit? You betcha they are. Sure. Am I freaking out? Do I sound like I'm freaking out? No. Well, but what's I'm the not. I mean, what's what's freaking out? I mean, if you're looking at, I guess the question becomes: the economy is always going to change. I, I get it. There's all sorts of variables, but I don't think there's any question that what's been going on in the last month is caught is uncertainty caused primarily because of the Trump tweets and the threats and the impositions of tariffs. And I guess, right. I, I mean, I, I guess, right. do you think does it doesn't that have the potential to have long-term impact on the economy if we get into prolonged trade wars with our, our partners in Mexico or in Europe? I guess time will tell, won't it? Yeah. Uh, time will tell. I, I am in this for the long term, as I said. I have a son. Uh, I'm only going to be around so many years, mm-hmm. but I, I'm looking after my son to live in a better place than I do. Uh, and like I said, we finally have a president that's doing something. Listen, there's always a cost to be paid, okay? There is no magic wand. And if somebody has a better idea, let's hear it. Well, I think, I mean, for, first of all, I, I, I mean, I'll give you the better idea on Mexico. I, I don't think that you, I, I understand that you're trying to get Mexico to do more to stop the flow of illegal aliens, I- illegal immigrants. I, I get it. I don't think you mix immigration policy with economic policy. I, I guess I, I just th- this idea that he, he's, he's going to use the economy as a weapon to to try to deal with anything. It, it's like the, the guy that has the hammer 
And okay, if if you, if you only have a hammer, well, okay, you know, then then you're going to view everybody as nails. But the, the truth is, you know, there's all sorts of things that you could do to try to bring Mexico a- around with regard to aid and stuff like that without again hurting the American economy. And that's that that's my issue here. And I will tell you, I am particularly sensitive to what's going on in Wisconsin because these trade wars are particularly bad. They are killing our, our farmers. I mean, right now we're in a, a it's a dicey situation. You, you've already got dairy farmers that are struggling, and now this is a huge blow to the people that grow soybeans. It's a blow to a lesser extent to the folks that grow cranberries. But, you know, this is, you know, these are fragile industries, and now all of a sudden you've got government policy which is making it difficult, or at least more difficult, and in some cases almost impossible, to sell their products. 414-799-1620. Steve in Milwaukee. Steve, here on WTMJ. Well, I think you're all wet on this. You know, the Mexican government and the Chinese have been ripping us off for uh, decades. They've been screwing oh. us over. Okay, well, let me, stop, let me stop you, though. Let's, let's talk about Mexico. This, he's, he's, not threaten, he's not threatening tariffs to get Mexico to trade to change a trade policy. No, he's taxing them. Right, he's taxing them. He's, he's punishing them with, uh, because they're not our friend. They are, they are exasperating the problem. They, they, the Mexican government has been putting out a booklet to, uh, uh, to uh, people coming into this country how to exploit our system. They are not our friend. They're trying to use us. They're trying to subvert us in many different ways, and so are the Chinese. Okay, Mexico is also one of our principal trading poli- partners. We're, work with me. How does how does this work out? You put tariffs on Mexican goods. So to bring Mexican goods into this country, the, the cost of those goods goes up 5 or 10%, which means you, know you and what? I pay 10% I'll, more. Look, look uh, everybody that I talk to and, uh, and hear, none of this has a affected their lives. None of the tariffs have, have affected uh, anybody's life that I know of uh, here in the state of Wisconsin or anyone else. Everybody just keeps tooling along. And what about China? And, you know, they've become more oppressive. they become more of a, a, a communist state. Mm-hmm. They've tightened up the, uh, their uh, uh, suppression of their citizenry mm-hmm. and their the, the freeness of the society. And we went all the way with them. We were wide open with free trade, no tariffs, and they didn't honor not one agreement. They never honor anything. And that's the same with the Mexican government. So maybe it takes a businessman that screws somebody over once in a while to screw them over like they've been screwing us over for the next five or ten years. Okay, well, again, mixing China and Mexico, I think, is a different sort of thing. But when you say you don't know anybody, nobody cares about these tariffs, nobody's been hurt. Well, then you must not talk to anybody who has any money invested in the stock market, because Again, you, you feel free to disagree with me on this, but the stock market's down. The Dow's down fifteen hundred points in this last month. Most, and, and there's a lot of factors. I get it's complicated, but the decline started when President Trump decided that he was going to pick the trade war with China. It has now increased. And today, that's it's down a few hundred points. Now, will it come back? Okay, well, we hope so. Hopefully, the markets will stabilize and things like that. And I'm not encouraging people to panic and sell and buy gold and put all your money under a bed. But I, you know what, what frustrates me, and I'll be honest with you. All right, I I've been around conservative politics and Republican politics my entire life. 
Republicans historically are free traders. We're, you know, we're people who want to open markets and things like that. The idea of using economic tariffs to try to punish people who are other countries that we don't think are doing what they want to do, that that's not something that Republicans, you know, adopt. So it, this is a complete change. And just so everybody knows that, what Donald Trump is talking about is not a conservative economic fo- policy. It is not a traditional Republican policy. It's, it's Donald Trump deciding, I'm going to use the American economy to try to force people to do what I think that they should have to do. But again, the, understand that when he's doing this, the, the people that are paying for this are you and me in higher costs. So, you know, this item that you used to pay, you know, a dollar for, now you're paying a dollar ten for only because you've got these tariffs that are in there. So it's not like companies pay taxes. It's not like the countries are paying taxes. It's the consumers. And, and that's that's us. I hope the president knows what he's doing. I, I mean, I hope the president knows what he's doing, but I just... I'm not convinced of that at all. Alex in Sussex. Alex, you're at WTMJ. Hi, yes. Hi, Alex. Um, how you doing? I'm well, thank you. What do you think? Uh, yeah, so, you know, I think my biggest thoughts here is that we are, we're we not going to feel the full effect of these tariffs right away. So I know that some callers have called in and said, well, I know that it's not really impacting anyone right now. Um, of course it's not going to impact anyone yet, besides the stock market, obviously, which... Um, I know has impacted my 401k and, mm-hmm. and some other investments, um, which is, you know, we, we all hope will bounce back, and I'm sure it will. Uh, but at the same token, uh, th- this could have a pretty big ripple effect. And, and I totally agree with your point that the consumers are the ones that are going to pay for this. Um, you know, the consumers right. are the ones that ultimately are going to have to put that bill. And so although, you know, we're kind of coming in active tough, well, we're going to have these other countries pay for things. Um, that's that's not really the case when it comes down to it because all of those costs are going to continue to raise and you know and, and increase yeah. and we're the ones that are going to pay for it, not business. Well, right, exactly. I mean that, that that's that's always been the problem, you know, when you try to do tariffs. Now maybe the president has some grand scheme, and I guess I I will tell you. When he first started with, with this with China, he said, well, trade wars are good. No, trade wars are not good. And, and he said, oh, you know, there, there, there's no problem. We're going to be able to outlast China. Well, okay, I, I don't know about that because, you know, China, you've got the state government. And so, yes, manufacturers in China arguably might get hurt if U.S. importers decide to, you know, the cost gets so prohibitive that they go somewhere else. But, you know, the China, the, you know, the communist government of China, they think, think nothing of supporting, you know, spending cash to support the industries, and they're willing to do that for years and years. Will a trade war, a prolonged trade war, hurt China? Absolutely. But will it hurt the United States as well? Absolutely. And the truth of the matter is, for people who are supporters of President Trump, pay attention because I come this way but once, the biggest thing he's got going for him is the economy. And the economy has grown. Let's measure it by the stock market. The economy has grown over the last you know couple years that he has been in office well you've seen a bunch of that growth if we're going to measure it by the stock market that's taken a hit just this month alone and you know do we want to watch the stock market go down another couple thousand points um what does that do if president trump loses that particular issue so he's playing with fire i hope he knows what he's doing this is jeff wagner welcome back to jeff wagner on wtmj 
so very glad to have you with us. I, I noted this morning the passing of a, of a singer named Leon Redbone. Leon Redbone died at, at the age of 69 th- this week. Um, he was he was a Canadian, and, and I, I just it's impossible to type um, the, the Leon Leon Redbone's music. It was kind of like a yeah, I don't know, like a, a, di- a ragtime blues, a ragtime and Delta blues and some Tin Pan Alley. And it, it was just, it was completely and totally unique. I got turned on to Leon Redbone when I was in college because one of my roommates, Jim, his name is Jim Butler, Jim Butler, he loved Leon Redbone. And there was this one particular song that, uh, Leon Redbone song, that whenever I hear the Leon Redbone song, I think back to my college roommate, Jim Butler, because he would play the thing over and over again. This is that Leon Redbone tune that has stuck with me for, well, over 40 years. That's a great big mystery, and it sure is worrying me, ain't it, what did it? I apologize for the earworm. I have had that song bouncing around in my head since September of 1975. Honest to goodness, man, maybe maybe 76, but that's it's called Diddy Wah Diddy. Yes, go ahead, bro. We got to bring the tuba back. Oh, right, it's it's and it's I I had never I had never heard any. I mean, okay, I mean, I you know, okay, I, I grew up. I'm a child of the 60s and the 70s, and I'm, I'm familiar with like the. The, the hard rock and then the, the Beatles and then the California folk singing song and the country music. I know all that. And I'd hear this and I thought, what the heck is this? And then I would hear it repeatedly because Butler would play this thing. And then he'd do this little dance to it, too, that it's just I remember it like it was yesterday. And I, I, I haven't thought of Leon Redbone in decades and decades, but. He passed away, so now it's back. So I apologize for the earworm. If you want to just, he was a completely and totally iconic musician, um, impossible to typecast. He, um, I, I mean, I, again, he, I, I saw him live once or twice. You know, he, he'd play with uh, John Prine, a big John Prine fan, and he would open for John Prine or something like that. But um, just, just an interesting sort of guy. He, his music uh, ended up in a, a couple. Um, a couple um, movies and things like that. But Leon Redbone, who takes me back at least to my college days, passes away at the age of 69. Um, if you want an earworm, just check out YouTube. There's a lot of his performances that are out there. All right, when we come back, gee, wh- what about all these historic buildings that we're trying to protect, even though they're dilapidated? What about a building that's not dilapidated at all? Who should tear it down? It's going to be an interesting conversation, I guarantee you. Stick around. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, Eric Bilstead, I owe you an apology. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Now, normally, when, when I'm sitting here during the newscast, I, I am I am wrapped. I am listening to, you know, your newscast, hearing all the different things. And I have to admit, I didn't pay much attention during your most recent newscast. Because, Why is that? Because... 
for people who who a little bit of a glimpse behind the camera, you know, in behind the, the curtain here, you know, in our studio we have a number of TV monitors and that, that we look at. There's one that has the traffic on. There's one that has the the weather. So you can follow the, the radar. radar yeah. There's one that's got CNN on. There's one that's got that I get to control. It's got Fox News on. And then we have this other a separate TV that I think is a throwback to our days when you know we were owned. Uh, we you know when we were um, co-owned with today's TMJ4. It's got Channel Four on it. Yeah. Okay, so I. I happen to just sort of look over, and what is on but Days of Our Lives? Oh, okay, and I just kind of glance, and what's going on in Days of Our Lives is there's this really attractive blonde who's got this, like, red dress that's, like, off the shoulders and is kind of cut down to you-know-where. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's mm-hmm. so, so showing off her attributes – and she's talking to a face mask. <laughs> I don't know how else to describe it. She's talking to a face mask. And it's going on and on. And she's got the face mask in her hand. And then she puts it on this, like, gold ball. And, and she's drinking <laughs> champagne. And she's talking. of course, we don't have sound in here. So I have no idea what the hell this is all about. But I admit I'm morbidly fascinated by this. So I say to Gru, I said, do you ever watch this? He says, yeah. he says I can't take my eyes off this. I, <laughs> I, have, I have no, just because, it's not just because it's the attractive woman. It's because I have no idea what how you get to a soap opera plot that you have this woman sitting in like a hotel yes <laughs> so what i was trying to figure out and guru maybe you know if was the mask speaking back to her could she was she thinking that that mask was talking because otherwise I, well we don't see that we don't have to do do you have an you don't you have no idea do you? I'm, I'm really uh, having an internal debate with myself on whether i want to give you guys the answers but i got the answer <laughs> Yeah, okay, well, well yeah. Uh, so she wears this mask to impersonate some other character from the show, from the past, that w- whatever. And oh, so like nobody can tell that she's wearing a face mask? <laughs> right, exactly, yes. Okay. And, and I think she's toasting to her success to this mask. Okay. Okay. And, well, and, and to say that I watch it all the time, that, I mean, I get no, but I get but, I get work done. But but it is it is scary. Now, as a matter of fact, it is scary that you would would know. So obviously, Eric, he's got the sound in there. So he's he's not he's not even pretending to listen to you. He's listening to Days of Our Lives in there, huh? Closed captioning. Closed caption. <laughs> oh, closed well, captioning. You know what's interesting is that it, so it's on every day. And every time I come in here, it's either in a hospital, in a fancy restaurant, or a bedroom with two guys with their shirts off. It's one of those three <laughs> scenes every time I walk in here. Like that's they only have three sets. Right, apparently. and and, I, and I'm not being judgmental, but it is it's two guys with their shirts off, mm-hmm. you know. And they, so I mean, it just shows how things have changed yeah, over yeah. the years. And it's well, okay, well now now we at least know the answer. My producer, who's you know, he, he apparently knows that. Okay. Okay, so she wears the face mask, and nobody can tell that it's a mask. Huh. Okay, well, I guess there's a little suspension of, of belief there. So, and, yeah. <laughs> okay, right. Yeah. Okay, work, works for me. But in any event, I, I'm, I'm apologizing because I wasn't listening to newscasts because I was just thinking, mm-hmm. what is this? So, and, of course, all the regulars on Days of Our Lives, as we've talked about before, if you, you know, our, our, our poor switchboard operators, if Channel 4 ever preempts Days of Our Lives, you know, they've got to give them 30 minutes warning and combat pay because it doesn't matter what's going on there. They're getting phone calls from people. You're, you know, you're to put oh, up yeah. Days of Our Lives. Well, okay, there's this. It's a huge breaking news story. We don't care. Put our days of our lives. All right. Let us switch gears. This is the Friday show. And um, a number of things I want to talk about before we get to Pop Culture Corner, including some fun topics. But this, I don't, let me just say this at the outset. I don't have the problem with this that some people apparently do. 
Yesterday was the wrap-up of the big Scripps Spelling Bee. And when we were owned by Scripps, when WTMJ was owned by Scripps, this was a big deal. You used to get updates you know, all the time because it's something that the, the Scripps Broadcasting Company you know, puts a lot of, of effort in. And it was on ESPN. You have all these kids from all over the country who now it's a big deal. They have coaches, you know, and, and, and they participate. And you have these kids who are really, really good spellers, and they spell words that I have no idea. I've never heard of these words, and I think I've got a relatively decent vocabulary. Well, what happened was yesterday afternoon, they, they had winnowed the field down to 50 finalists. And the idea was you go from 50 to 16. And then what happens is you bring that final 16 back, you put them on national TV at 8 o'clock, and the hope is to get this done and to have a winner within two hours. Well, they started to realize that they were going to have some problems because it took them five and a half hours yesterday to go from 50 to 16. And that's just because everybody knew the words. I mean, or at least everybody was able to spell the words. So you end up with 16, all right? Then what happens is they go, they're able to winnow the, the crew. This is last night. They're able to winnow the field from 16 to 8. So they've got it down to 8. And then these kids just just don't get it wrong. Um, by by 11, by 10.18, so it's been going on for a little over two hours, two hours and 15 minutes. By 10.18, our time last night, they had it down to eight. And then, and then nobody got it wrong. They went another 45 minutes, and, you know, nobody, nobody had gotten anything wrong. The, they, they got the last 47 words in a row correct. And what the organizers were saying is, hey, we're in uncharted territory here because we're running out of words. Now, th- there's millions and millions of words, but they're saying we're, we're running out of words that we could present to you guys that would challenge you. Because you've got, you know, we've, we've got all these obscure words and, you know, we've been using these grading degree of difficulty, but nobody's getting it wrong. And it's become sort of this endurance thing. And you're talking about kids. So after, you know, three plus hours, after these kids got 47 in a row, right, they just decided, you know what we're going to do? We're going to declare this a tie. And we're going to have not one winner, but we're going to have eight winners. And everybody's going to get a trophy. And I, I think their intention is it's a $50,000 prize. I think Scripps going to give fifty grand to, I don't think they're going to make them split it. I think they're going to give fifty grand to all of the kids. Now, some people think that this was a cop-out that they should have kept going and going, and they shouldn't have just called this off. Look, I think all these kids, and I'm not one of these people who believes that you know you get participation trophies or things like that, but I think all these kids were incredible. I think at a certain point, um, you don't want to turn it into this endurance contest. They were running out of words, and I have no problem with them cause, calling it a draw. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Number of people might argue, no, this isn't what they should have done. They should have just, you should have figured out a way to determine the best of the best. They should have kept going, done something, speed round, whatever, in order to get down to one. I think what happened yesterday was extraordinary, and I don't have a problem with calling it a tie. Should they have called it off when they did? 
or should they have kept going? And if that meant you go a couple more hours till you wear some of the kids down, should they have kept going to one kid? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I have no problem with ending it when it did. I thought all these kids were extraordinary. And as far as I'm concerned, they all deserve the championship. This isn't like giving them a participation trophy. They were all exceptional. 414-799-1620. And if you watched that spelling bee last night, how did you react to the decision ultimately to call it off at the end? We're back to discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Greg in Milwaukee. Greg, good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Do you think it was a cop-out last night to essentially call it a draw and give eight winners? I actually do think it was a cop-out. You know, Bud Selig, the All-Star game, everybody ran out of pitchers. They yeah. called it a tie. That's exactly what happened last night. Go find a dictionary. Get some more words. Well, I mean, you got you got the Internet. You got plenty of words. And you're right. You're, of course, referring to 2002, the All-Star game at Miller Park and one of uh, one of the more infamous moments of the Seal League time where they, 11, after 11 innings, they've run out of pitchers, and there's that famous picture of Bud sitting on the sidelines, standing there with his hands up in the air, as they call it a tie. Is it a, okay, is pro baseball, though, different than when you're dealing with 13-year-old kids? Yes, it is in general, but yeah. you know, it, it's the same situation. You yeah. know, they could have at least whittled it down to four, but, you know, eight? Come yeah. on, go well, find some more words. Well, I mean, thanks. I guess, I mean, here, all right, and, and here's why I disagree with you on, on that is because th- these kids were, were all exceptional. They'd been at this, and Scripps, to its credit, has always said, you know, we we don't intend this to be an endurance contest. We're, we're dealing with 12 and 13 and 14-year-old kids. We're, we're, not dealing, we're, we're not dealing with pros. And so you get to a certain point where if you watch that, especially at the end of last night, some of the kids were starting to burn out. And I guess we're, we're talking about 12 and 13 and 14-year-old kids. Um, they went through a, spe- a period of time where you had what forty the last 47 words in a row were correct, and they'd pretty much run through, I mean, their list. I guess what they could have done is they could have said, all right, now we're going to we're gonna suspend this. We, I don't know. We'll, we'll come back tomorrow morning or whatever, and we'll try to find more words and all. Yes, I just didn't see what the point of that was. The, the, the point of what they do at Scripps is to try to recognize, you know, really, really intelligent, quality people who have great memorization skills and are good spellers. Okay, so that that's kind of the the idea behind it. And and you whittled the field down to to eight and you really couldn't separate, you know, those final eight. Now, it might be, you know, moving forward, if Scripps decides we don't want to have this again, well maybe you can, you know, come up with some new rule that says, all right, after X amount of competition, you know, after X minutes or whatever, because my guess is it's more likely moving forward that this stuff is going to happen again. You know, maybe you can come up with a rule that says, okay, we're going to do some sort of, I don't know, lightning round, or we're going to do some sort of, of way to separate people if you feel that that's necessary. But they didn't have those kind of rules in place. So, you know, at, at some point in time, I think it's like, okay, just just recognize that they're all excellent 
And it's not like the kids hadn't accomplished something. I guess, see, a number of people are texting me and saying, oh, Jeff, this is this is like a participation trophy. Now, a participation trophy is you show up, you don't put much effort in, and, you know, the, the person that finished last gets the same recognition as the person that finishes first. I mean, these, these final eight were just knocking it out of the box, and they've been doing it for hours and hours and hours, and they had been exceptional. There's just no question about it. So recognizing them all, I guess I just don't have a problem with it. I mean, I understand the all-star game analogy, but that was pro baseball players. These are 13-year-olds. Josh in Fox Lake. Josh, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. Um, the biggest thing for me and the difference between the all-star game is you're talking about millionaires in the all-star game. Um, if they had to split the $50,000, then I don't think it's quite as fair. But if they actually gave all of the winners $50,000, I think that's a good deal for all the kids. And, and that is my – I'm, I'm willing to be corrected, but that is my understanding of what they're going to do. They're going to say, okay, well, we're going we're we're to treat every one of them like a winner, and, and they're all going to get the dough. Yeah, I mean, maybe, you know, maybe if I'm one of the 13-year-olds and I'm like, hey, I want that fifty grand, I could, I could outlast these other seven. But I think everybody gets the fifty grand, so they all are winners. Yeah. yeah. So, and I think that's, that's good for all of them. And it's not a participation trophy. You're talking about thousands and thousands of kids. Right. You can make it this far. Well, well right. And, and and they were just, I mean, it was one after another after. They were demonstrating their excellence, and the, they were they were all so good that you couldn't eliminate them. No, thanks, Nicole. I, I guess I agree. Now, moving forward, maybe the folks at Scripps need to anticipate that this is the direction this is going, and they've got to figure out a way to break tiebreakers. I don't know what that would be, but maybe that's something for next year. In any event, I thought this was a wonderful thing, and it, it was it was a demonstration of, of kids that work really hard, and some of them are great spellers. And like I say, there's, I know a lot of this is memorization and things like that. But still, kids worked hard, and it was kind of good to see that, at least according to at least according to a lot of people that I know that watched it. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. All right. I have said this before. I repeat it. I think if you buy it, you should pretty much be able to do what you want with it. What am I talking about? Well, Milwaukee County Executive Chris Abley. Now, in fairness, Abley has never pretended to be a man of the people. I mean, it's it's not like... It's not like he hides his wealth. He's the his dad's a billionaire, and he's got all sorts of family wealth and stuff. To give you an idea, Milwaukee County Executive Chris Abley, he he owns three properties in Milwaukee. He's got a, a mansion, thirty three nineteen North Lake Drive. It's assessed at two point six million dollars. Okay, all right. He's been trying to sell that and hasn't sold that. He's got two adjacent condos at a condominium complex downtown, which is where I think he, he lives. Um, the condos on the 29th floor, total around 7,400 square feet, have a combined assessed value of $3.25 million. Let me just linger, let, let the linger. So you've got the house on Lake Drive that you're not living in that, that's worth two point six. You've got the the side by side the condos on the 29th floor that are assessed at $3.25 million. Well, okay, what do you need? Well, you need another home. In, in Milwaukee, right? So he has per- gone out and he has purchased this mansion in Shorewood. And the Journal Sentinel and Dan Bice have, have the story. The, the mansion, 3534 North Lake Drive in Shorewood. So it's about, well, it's, it's kind of near the, the house, the other house that, that, that he has, the other mansion. He buys it for 
$2.6 million. Now, this is a home that is, it's considered to be historic because of the architect. It was built in the 1920s, um, but it, it's not in the National Register of Historic Homes, so it's not subject to any sort of protections. But, I mean, this is this is one of those houses that Shorewood says, well, we, we consider this to be an important residence in the community because of the architect, et cetera, et cetera. So he buys this, I believe, you know, last year. People sell him the house. He pays $2.6 million. Well, Journal Sentinel reports that he has now decided he wants to tear down the house that he just paid $2.6 million for. He wants to raise it. He wants to level it. He wants to do with his $2.6 million mansion what the city of Milwaukee wants to do with the Northridge building. They want to tear it down. Now, the people that sold him the house... They're like, wait a second. He never told us he wanted to tear down the house. I mean, I don't know if we would have sold him the house if we knew he wanted to tear it down. Well, I mean, he, he bought it. He, he paid their asking price. So he wants to tear this down. Now, apparently what he wants to do is he wants to tear down the $2.6 million house, and he wants to build another house on on that on that site. Now, I don't know. Nobody knows what the plans are for, for that, but that's the idea. It was to demolish the $2.6 million house and then, you know, build a, another house. So, okay, so that's probably probably at least another couple million dollars that you're talking about there. It's just a whole, it's this whole other world out there. But like I say, Chris Abley never said he was a man of the people. All right, so now you've got th- this huge controversy in Shorewood where a number of people are saying, well, wait a second. You know, this this is not a building that's like Northridge. It's not a building that's falling down. It's not a building that's dilapidated. You know, it, it's a house that's per, in perfectly good condition. So why would Abley want to tear it down? Well, I, you know, he's not saying, but I mean, I understand this is from the perspective of somebody who lived in an older home. You know, there's always, you know, there there's there's always challenges when you live in, in an older home. You know, they, you know, it takes three times as much effort and three times as much money to do stuff and stuff gets outdated and there's always maintenance issues and he's probably figuring hey if I start over and start from scratch I can build something that is exactly like what I I want so people in Shorewood are now saying oh we got to stop this we got to figure out a way to stop this this is an historic building even though it's not in the National Register of Historic Homes 414-799-1620 that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line should Abley be able to tear it down if he wants? And again, assuming as long as he is complying with, you know, all the different zoning rules and the codes that they have when he builds something new, should he be able to tear it down and build what he wants given the fact that he purchased this? I mean, it, it's his. Should Shorewood be telling him no? Now remember, we had a similar issue in Whitefish Bay that we talked about a few weeks ago where you had a guy that bought uh, a home on Lake Drive adjacent to the home that he had now. The building was in pretty was in disrepair. He wanted to level it and build a new property there, and he got hung up with the Whitefish Bay building preservation people, And and but Whitefish Bay had ordinances against this. I don't know that Shorewood does. Should Abley be able to tear down this perfectly good $2.6 million mansion that has historic significance, but isn't otherwise protected. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And while you might not agree with me on this, I guess my answer is, well, he, he bought it. And I think, again, as long as he's complying with codes, he, I think he should get to do what he wants 
with this particular property. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Should the county executive be able to tear down this $2.6 million mansion and build his dream home on this location? We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. 414-799-1620. And by the way, I, I freely acknowledge that this this conversation fits in the category of first world problem. Gee, should you be able to tear down that $2.6 million mansion that you just purchased? We're back to discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. This is Jeff Wagner. Glad to have you with us. Mike on the northwest side. Mike, good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon, Jeff. Hey, if you got uh, two and a half million bucks to burn and throw away, uh, if he's got uh, breaking any codes, yep. more power to him. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it, it does show you. You want to talk? I mean, I mean, it is amazing that you and see. I understand that there's lots of people that that like buy some of these older homes, but they appreciate the historical significance and they want to put a whole bunch of money into like rehabbing them so they're wonderful to live in. But if if Abley, I guess, wants to tear it down and build some neo modern mansion on that site, I, I you know, I, I think he has every right to do it. If he wants to get some vacant land, uh, land and have picnics there, that's fine, too. Right. No, I mean, thank, thanks for the call. I mean, it's interesting. I'm, I'm reading the story in the journal Sentinel, and, and they go, and they're, they're talking to um, the, the gal. It was her, her parents owned the house, and they'd owned it since the mid-'80s, and, and they sold it. And she says the family's heartbroken that Abley would be tearing the house down. She said, had her parents known what he was planning to do, I could have not imagined them selling the house to him. Well, I, I, I don't – look – I loved, I lived in a house for over 30 years too in Whitefish Bay. I loved the house. But you know what? I don't, I, I haven't, I haven't been back. I don't intend to go back. I know the people that bought the house from me. I know they're going to make all sorts of adjustments and improvements and changes. And you know what? I mean, I, I have, I don't want to see it. I don't need to see it. I don't need to go back. I have great memories from that house where, you know, I, I spent a good portion of my life and I love it. And I hope the people that purchased it from me, I, I, I wish them the very best. And I know they're making improvements and stuff. And, and, and it's their house now. They get to do what they want with the house and the property again, as long as the communities, as long as they're not violating zoning codes and stuff. So I, I mean, I appreciate that this woman saying, "Well, my parents, you know, wouldn't have sold the house." Well, I mean, he came out there with a checkbook. You know, he was willing to pay for it, and I think you know he has the right to do this. Now, it's fair to kind of wonder, you know, why why would you do something like this? And they're describing the house as, you know, with all these just wonderful features. She says one room is made of solid hand carved mahogany. Um, you know, it's got all these different features and stuff, but he obviously bought the place not for the house. He bought it for the spectacular location. And so, you know, he, he doesn't want the house. He wants something else, a more modern sort of thing or whatever, but I think he's got the right to do it. I mean, I've told this story before. My, my wife loves Chardonnay wine and she likes to drink her Chardonnay with ice in it. Now, some people would think so you're going to buy a good, and she, she knows good wine from bad wine, so she'll buy good wine and or, in a restaurant or something, and she'll put ice cubes in it. All right, well, you know, every once in a while, you get kind of that snippy bartender or something who kind of like the snooty bartender who looks up his or her, her nose and thinks, okay, you're, you know, you're buying this, this really good expensive wine, and you're putting ice cubes in it, to which my response is always, hey, yeah, once we pay for this, 
it, it's ours. We can do what we want with it. And if I if I buy that expensive glass of, of bourbon and I decide that I want to put Diet Coke in it, which I wouldn't do, but if I decided I wouldn't want to do it, well, okay, it's, it's mine. I I bought it, and I think I get to do what I want with it. Now, I think maybe it's fair to say to the county executive, don't you appreciate the history or something like that behind this? But, but it's his. It's his. And I guess if Shorewood feels strongly about this, you know, maybe what they should do is take up a collection and go and, you know, try to buy the property back from him. Um, Emma in Whitefish Bay. Emma, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Emma. Um, hi. Uh, I just wanted to chime in and say, while Chris Avery definitely has the right to do with the property, mm-hmm. as a community member, I think that this home does have significant mm-hmm. value and um, I do think that the community should really come together and while we might not be able to take his right to do things, we might be able to convince him through publicity or things like that mm-hmm. or doing some other thing like he suggested to stop yeah. what he should not do. Right, so you, you would... Right. So your point is, even if he has the right to do it, it's not the right thing to do because of the nature of the property. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and again, that's I, I think that's fair to me. That's a completely separate question. And I I, I got to tell you, I don't I for I for what I don't understand why you'd buy. I mean, obviously, he's in love with the location. I don't understand why you'd buy, you know, this type of property. And I, my sense is the house is not in disrepair. It's not like, you know, sometimes you buy these things and they're just you know, it would cost you, you know, two million dollars to try to get it up to standards. I don't get the sense that that's what this house is like. So clearly, yeah. he's buying it for the property. And again, I say I, I, that that's a completely different point. You know, you know, should he do this? Shouldn't he appreciate the historical significance of it, etc.? I just think if he wants to do it, and he's decided that. I don't think that he should be stopped from doing it. Yeah, I do think like it's just very wasteful. It seems like such a wasteful action to spend all this money on this beautiful, beautiful house and just to tear it down. It's yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, right. I, I, thanks for, I mean, I, I, I agree with you. And I mean, that's, I just, I, I agree with you, but I mean, my guess is when you, you know, look at all the money, all the family money that Chris Abley has, and it's $2.6 million to him. Sounds like it's about 20 bucks to me or you, but, but you know, if you got the money, it, it doesn't matter. And clearly he, he wants, and he's in love with the location. And again, that whether you should do it or not to me, isn't the, to me, isn't the issue. And I understand that there's people in the community who would say, Oh, this is an important part of the community, but it's not in the national register of historic homes. There's no protections of this. And I guess whether it's the right thing to do or not to me doesn't matter. He owns it, just like you know when when we buy that that glass of Chardonnay <laughs> Chardonnay for for my wife, it, it's hers. She gets to do what she wants with it. And if she wants to put ice in it, I don't think that's anybody's business. Tim in Shorewood. Tim, your neck of the woods. Hello. Hi. Yeah, I moved out of there about six years ago. I lived there for fifty five years. Um, you know, if he owns it, it's his property, and those older houses probably need a lot of work. Yeah, smaller rooms and probably plaster, radiators, all that stuff, and to make it modern, yep. tear it down, put up something new. As long as the new thing matches similar to the area, right? And and I think he's kind of said that's the, you know, that that's obviously the goal. You don't want something that's going to stick out like a sore thumb. But no, I'm sure that's what 
I'm sure that's what's going on here. You're looking, and this is from the perspective of somebody who lived lived in a house that was almost a hundred years old. You know, just just trying to wire, just trying to put cable in some rooms. You know, was just it was yeah. it was a three day project. Now, you know, I, I'm sure he could afford to do it, but yeah, if, if he thinks it makes more sense to start from scratch, I think he has the right to do it, and he certainly apparently has the dough to do it. Sure, there's a huge house across the street from that property where there was a land and stone house on the corner. She tore down the land and stone house and turned it all into part of her garden. So, <laughs> okay. Tore down the, the money to do it. <laughs> tore down the house and turned it into part of their garden. There, it's, it's the house on the corner. It, it, there, there's a whole other world out there, Tim. You know, I'm just, I do not run in these circles. I'm tearing down the house and just going to make it part of the garden. <laughs> just, That's why I got out of there. Yeah, well, I know. Thanks. I mean, see, I, res- I respect all that. I, I do. Um, and, and obviously, it must be the location that has attracted, you know, the, the county executive. And again, that, if, if you've got the money to do it, that that's great. And I, I don't. Yeah, I remember there, there's been the other issue that's been going on. Um, Tony Zelinsky, um, on the Common Council, who's running for mayor, that, you know, he's, he's building a McMansion in his neighborhood. That's been controversial only because, not so much does he have a right to do it, but he's, He's been a leader in telling other people in his district, no, you're not going to get permits or variances to do what you want to do because you don't maintain the architectural, you know, it doesn't fit necessarily in the community. So when Zelensky wants to do it, though, it's it's okay. Michelle in Grafton. Michelle, you're on WTMJ. Yes, you know, you're talking about watching soap operas, but I'm addicted to Bravo's, you know, million-dollar real estate shows. Okay. Million-dollar listing New York, million-dollar listing L.A. They do this all of the time. And people that sell the house are like, what? You know, they can't tear down my beloved house. And the real estate agent will say to them, what's beloved to you is not to the buyer. Yeah. No. No, and that's... If he's going to spend the money... Let him put what he wants up there. Well, well, right. If if you've got, I see. I'm with you. No, thanks for the call. I'm with you. It's it's kind of like, you know. I mean, people fall in love with certain aspects of their home. Oh, I love this or I love that. Well, that that that's great. But once you sell it, other people come in. And they might look at it and say, I don't, I don't get this kitchen at all, or I don't get that sunroom, or I don't like that living room, or boy, I can't stand those hardwood floors or whatever. We're gonna do something, and that's. That's the right that they have once they buy it. You know, if you, if you don't want somebody doing that, well, then don't don't sell it to them. The folks that sold Abley this place, they didn't put any you know limitations on saying, well, you know, we, we assume you're not going to tear this down. They obviously assumed he was going to live there, but, you know, who cares? Once he buys it, it it's his. So I, I find this to be an interesting story on a number of levels, but I, I don't think it's fair to criticize the county executive for deciding he wants to tear this down. Matter of fact, I think we should be applauding him because he's paying a whole bunch of property taxes in Milwaukee County, right? This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. Melissa, do you know who John Rich is? I don't know who John Rich is. Have you ever heard of the country duo Rich, Big and Rich? Oh, Big and Rich, yeah. Yeah, okay. This, oh, yeah, that, yeah. That's right. That, that's sure. him. He has a new song that they debuted actually on, on Fox yesterday, I think. That's, uh, the, the, song's been out, well, the song's been out for a week or two, I think, but it's, it's, it's starting to get traction now. It is moving up the country charts. I, I want to play just a portion of it for you. It's called... Shut up about politics. Here's the song. 
Well, shut up about politics. Ain't nothing but a big pile of dirty tricks. I'm tired of all the fighting and a pitching fit. So shut up, shut, shut up about politics. You punch left, I punch right. We're caught up in the middle of a deep swamp fight. Some people lie and some people steal. But everybody's talking about the Green New Deal. Shut up, shut up about politics. Ain't nothing but a big pile of dirty tricks. I'm tired of all the fighting and a pitching fit. So shut up, shut up about politics. All this fussing. You get the idea. And, and, and the whole premise is shut up about politics. Stop talking about this. We've heard enough. All right, and, and this is why I lead off this hour, because I deal with every day. My job is to come in and, and find different things that we are going to discuss together, three hours a day, five days a, a week. And inevitably, everybody has, has different thoughts on the topic selection. And and I will tell you, one of the things that I have consciously done over the last couple of years is I've I have intentionally moved away from all politics. There are radio shows you can tune into, and it's all politics. It, it, it's politics from the beginning to the end. Now, we still do political stuff on here. You know, we talked about the today's tariff things during the 12 o'clock hour of the program. And I- inevitably, and then we talked about, you know, other stuff. And inevitably, I get this feedback. And some of the feedback is, oh, Jeff, thank God. I- I'm so sick of listening to, you know, all the politics. I hear the imp- word impeachment one more time. I'm going to go through the roof. And then there's other people who give me this feedback saying, why are you why are you talking about like a mansion in Shorewood, for God's sake? Don't you understand that, you know, Donald Trump is out there to save America or don't you understand that Donald Trump is going to destroy America? How can you talk about anything else? And I, I heard this song and I thought, you know, I think that that message resonates with a lot of people. I think there's a lot of folks out there that are just down to their last nerve. Now, you have issues. You you care about stuff. You know, may, maybe you're very, very pro-President Trump. Maybe you're anti-President Trump. So you have issues that you care about. But but in general, I think a lot of people have kind of gotten down to their, their last nerve when it comes to, you know, the political discussions, especially since a lot of it, you know, it goes over the same ground all the time. I mean, that there's really nothing new that ends up getting rehashed. And, and I think there's a lot of people out there that relate to that sentiment. Shut up about politics. All right, our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I have a question. In your, in your everyday life, um, are, are you one of the people that just can't get enough about talking politics? You look forward to, all right, going out to dinner with your friends and here, we're going to discuss politics for the, the time of it. Or you look forward to going home so you and your spouse can, can sit there and can turn on the television and can react to whatever's on MSNBC or Fox News or whatever. Or are you part of that other group of people who hear that John Rich song and says, shut up about politics and say, he's speaking for me? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Are you burned out on politics? We discuss. If you're on the line, please hold on. Gru is lining up the phone calls back in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
Shut Up About Politics. That's the new uh, song out from John Rich of the country duo Big and Rich. And, 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 you know, it actually it kind of resonated because I just think that there's a lot of people out there, and maybe you're one of them, who are, are on just on your last nerve when it comes to politics. And don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that people should not care about current events. Boy, I hope you're not in that particular situation. I, I'm just saying that we are so, so very polarized nowadays that that what ends up happening is things become like this echo chamber and, and all people sometimes want to hear is stuff that reinforces their own opinions or it's okay, let, let's just let's just fight and let's take the same things and let's go back and forth on the same issue. Dallas and Sheboygan texts, Jeff, this is my new favorite song. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um all right, now here's another text which I think is is interesting. Uh, let me see, let me pull this one up here. The uh the text says um only in America only in America would we discourage people from wanting to talk about politics? That's sad. Well, no, I I don't think that's the case at all. My guess is if I was doing a talk radio show in Great Britain right now that has been embroiled with Brexit and all the ramifications, I understand that there's a lot of people that feel strongly, for example, about Brexit. Oh, we just need to get out of the European Union. And there's other people that feel equally as strongly. No, no, it's going to be devastating if we get out of the European Union. We've got to stay here. So I understand that there's that whole dynamic that's out there. But my guess is there's a lot of people who, while they have an opinion on Brexit, well, what they're like, okay, we don't want to talk about this anymore. We're we're going over the same ground. We need to figure out a way to move on. And I think that's the way a lot of people are in this country when it comes to certain things, like the whole issue of, of impeachment. It seems like every day there's a different interpretation of the Mueller report, and ah, this is what Bob Mueller really did. He he dumped it into Congress's lap, and now we need to have impeachment. And there's other people say, no, you're not going to have impeachment and stuff. And there's a lot of people that I just think are, are watching this, and, and what they're saying is just Shut up about politics and let us move on. All right. Speaking of of moving on, got a couple of fun things I want to wrap up the program with. We've got Pop Culture Corner coming up in a few minutes as well. Um, when I grew up, when I was growing up around here, there used to be a number of drive-in movies throughout the area. There are still a handful of drive-through move drive-in movies in in the state, but there's not many. But there's still a couple that you can find. But when I was growing up around here, there were there was there was a drive-in movie theater on the northwest side. There was one on the south side. There were a couple other places, and I can remember many a summer night where I, I would get together with my buddies, and two of my friends had convertibles, and we'd kind of smuggle some beer into the back, and we'd drive in, and we'd watch like, and there was always like a triple feature or something like that. It was, at least in my memory, it was kind of a, it was a wonderful way to spend a summer evening. Now, drive-in movies have con- have kind of gone the way of, well, the dinosaur. What you have is because a lot of the drive-in movies, uh, the land ended up being worth more than the movie theater, so people would, who own the land would sell it off and it turns into condos or shopping centers or whatever. In addition, this is Wisconsin, and so you can't use a drive-in, you know, the drive-in movie, the, the season is a limited period of time. You know, maybe it's Memorial Day through Labor Day or, or whatever. So it hasn't meant made a lot of sense 
for places to stay open. So a lot of these movies have closed. In addition, you know, the industry has changed a little bit. Plus, it's hard enough to get people to go out to the, the fancy movie houses where you've got the reclining seats and stuff, much less say, okay, they're going to go and you're going to sit in your car and watch a movie. I'm bringing this up because there was a really interesting story in today's Chicago Tribune about uh, uh, one of the reporters, one of the writers says, you know, I, I just... I wanted to go back to my younger days. So, you know, what he did was he decided, okay, there's a drive-in movie theater that's about, you know, an hour and a half away from where I live. And I wanted, he said, I, I decided I was going to go back and we were going to see the movie. And he says, you know, people, we drove back down there and he said, you know, this was like, it was like a return to my childhood. You know, we pull into the drive-in movie, patrons can bring pets fire up a grill as long as the coals are out before showtime. Gates open at 6.30 on Friday and Saturday nights, and at 7.30 other nights. Drive-in is open between April and October. And he writes this story about how just much fun he had going back to the drive-in theaters. And then he talks about how in Illinois, there's less than a dozen drive-in theaters that remain. Um, In the United States, there are about 330 drive-in theaters operational as of last year but to give you an idea in the at the peak of the drive-in movie thing in the late 50s there were about 4,000 so that tells you you know what's been going on our number and I want to take a quick walk down memory lane our number 414-799-1620 that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line do drive-in movies still have an appeal in 2019 is this something that, yeah, and we know that there's a couple that are around, but are, are they going to be around in five years or ten years? Do they still have that appeal? Do, does the mystique of the drive-in movie, does it resonate? Does it have any, I don't know, does, does it speak to those of us in 2019 where we've all got our man caves or our she sheds and you've got the big screen TV with the 65 inches and you've got the refrigerator in your kitchen that's a few feet away and you've got the bathroom that's right around the corner. I mean, is there any sort of future for drive-in movies or are these complete and total anachronisms from a time in the past? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And this is kind of easy for me to say because I, I know that there's a couple around, and, and I haven't been to any in years. But I was thinking about this story that I saw, and I tell you, I, I I could see doing this. I could see, you know, taking, you know, my wife and some friends and stuff. I could see spending a summer night doing this. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Jim in Kenosha. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, hey, how you doing today? Real well, thank you. Okay, drive-in movies. Do they, do they have a future in America? Well, the one in Kenosha just shut down, I don't know, a year and a half, two years ago, I believe. Right. Um, I think you know, a lot of people are going back to nostalgia. I mean, people are buying turntables again. Yeah. Um, I'd, I'd love to go back to a drive-in movie theater because, you know, you bring your own snacks if you want. And, um, you know, right. I'd, I'd definitely patronize one, uh, you know, weather permitting. Well, I mean, right, right. Yeah, absolutely. And that's part of the problem, you know, in Wisconsin where you don't have the year-round type of thing. And does does it make sense? It's a lot of money to invest in a piece of property that you're only going to be op- able to operate for four or five months or whatever. But I, I, I think... And it's more than just nostalgia. I mean, I think it's they've always been good values and and, and just and just fun. Normally, they show two or three movies. It's it's. I just remember having a good time going there. Oh, well, I remember Carload Night. 
jamming yeah. eight people in a 1955 Buick <laughs> and going in there for five bucks for eight people. Yeah, right. Thanks for the call. There, there you go. I mean, I, I can, you know, we used to go to the one on the northwest side, and I, I always, I kind of always get them confused as, as to what they were called. But we always used to go to the one on the northwest side. But like I said, I had a couple buddies that had convertibles, and I mean, you know, a hot summer night, you, you go out there, it, just, it was just a blast. Jim in Hales Corners. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Jeff, grew up in Mequon. I can tell you that uh, we went to the same one, the Starlight. <laughs> so that was a Starlight. Okay, got it. The Starlight. Wonderful, wonderful place. And I do think that there's a future for these. I think they need to market themselves a little bit more aggressively. But uh, look at, uh, we're, we're striving to get there with Von Maher, mm-hmm. uh, the Von Maher uh, uh, Out in area. Brookfield, yeah. Brookfield, and also at Oak Creek. Um, and also at Discovery World, what do they all have in common? They all have mini outdoor theaters during mm-hmm. the summer. Yeah, I remember. I don't know if Discovery World did it last year, but they used to have during the summer like a handful of outdoor movies that they'd show, and they'd bring a food truck in, and they have like some beer vendors right. and stuff, and and it was free, and you just kind of gather around there. I, I went to a couple of those films. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're, you know, uh, a little bit more aggressive marketing, and these guys would really blossom. Well, th- thanks for calling. I mean, again, it's it's sometimes when you look at these things, it's kind of like, oh, you know, they're they're these these are these old timers who are talking about. Oh, I remember the days when we used to do that. But I, I think, see, I think drive-in movies run right and run in the right location can still they can still have an appeal. And it's the kind of thing, like for the families that say, hey, this is a great opportunity. You know, what we can do is, you know, we can take the three kids and we can put them in the back seat of the car and, you know, we we can go to the movie and it's two films and maybe the kids will fall asleep during the, the second show. You know, even better, time for mom and dad to smooch. Dale in Door County. Dale, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hello. Now Hi, you've got, you, yeah, it's Jeff. You're on the air. You've got, you've got, there, there's one in, there's a drive-in up in Door County, right? Yeah, yeah, there's still one here between Fish Creek and Ephraim. It's uh, it's open. It's been open since I was a kid, and uh, it's it's kind of a novelty thing, I think, because we're such a big tourist uh, tourist right. area. So right. I just I, I didn't know if you knew that was open, and I did watch a documentary on drive-ins. I don't know what channel it was on, but I but I what they talked about is there are like about well, six or eight of them left in the country. Period. Mm-hmm. But uh, this one does well. I mean, yeah. they do fine with it. So. Well, no, and, and and see, and that's I mean, thanks for the call. There's actually there's actually 330 as of the end of last year. There's 330 scattered all across the country. I mean, you you probably have in Wisconsin, you know, there's the one kind of down in Kenosha. You you probably have you know, four or five at least that I can think of in Wisconsin. But one again being being up in Door County, and that's that's a place that makes a lot of sense. I mean, you're you're up. You know, your family, you're spending a week in Door County or whatever during the summer, and you're looking for something to do, you know, some hot July evening. Makes sense. Pile up everybody, go in the car, and go watch, you know, whatever the new movies that are out there. In in areas that are particularly tourist-prone, I, I think it's, you know, I think it's got a lot of potential appeal that's there. Rudy in New Berlin. Rudy, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. Hi, Jeff. Well, you brought that up, and one of the first things that came to my mind is way back when, when I used to go to drive-ins all the time with, with uh, my the gang or my sweetie, we had bench seats in the car, you know, and you <laughs> park the car, you could 
you can relax a little bit. Or your sweetie could slide over. Yeah. Now you're sitting in a bucket seat, and you're kind of cramped in, and the only thing you can do is go kind of back and forth. But that's just kind of, it's the first thing that came to mind. <laughs> you're, you're, you're making that pitch for the bench seats. That, I guess I guess that's – no, thanks, Nicole. I guess that, that that is right. The bucket seats – the Bucket seats do make watching the submarine races a little bit uh, a little bit uh, tougher. As somebody texts, Jeff, the Kenosha Theater was gone as of two years ago. Okay, then is there one? Was there one in Jefferson? All right, I, but but regardless, there. Here's the bottom line of this: if you do not know this thing that I am speaking of, this what is this drive-in theater that the guy on the radio is talking about? And you ever are a place where you get an opportunity to do it to try it? My advice would be. Give it a shot. You know, it, okay, maybe it's not going to be where you go to see every movie or something, but I think it does have the potential to be kind of a, a fun thing, especially as a novelty. Now, does that mean that there's going to be enough interest that's going to be able to sustain these things, you know, year in, year out? I don't know. But I, I would hate to see the remaining 300-plus theaters around the country. I'd, I'd hate to see them all go away because it is a link to the past. And I think there's the potential, if done right, there's the potential that they can be viable, not just today, not just tomorrow, but for more years. Just saying. This is Jeff Wagner. It's time now for Jeff Wagner's Pop Culture Corner. Put aside the heavy lifting and call the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line at 414-799-1620 to get on the show. And now, here's Jeff Wagner. If we were to use one word, just one word, to describe what the spring has been like, has been like around here, the non-existent spring that would be in April and May, that one word, well, okay, there's other words that come to mind, but I can't say them on the radio, so let's just say crappy. It would be fair to say it's been just a crappy spring, all right? I don't think that is an overstatement, and it's certainly not an understatement. So finally, it's 84 degrees outside. The sun is shining. Sounds like it's going to be at least a decent weekend, and maybe, just maybe, we have turned the corner, and maybe we're getting ready to start experiencing summer, and maybe things will dry out so the grass isn't going to be completely soaked and things like that. I am optimistic because that's the nature of the kind of guy I am. Summerfest kicks off in a couple weeks. The outdoor fest Festivals are going to kick off. You're going to have lots of stuff that's going to be going on. The church festivals, all these great activities, people going on vacations. And what is one of the things that we all do when we're heading to these various locations? Well, I know. I know, especially when you're not listening to talk radio shows. You're in your car. What you do is you crank up the radio. Yeah, and, and maybe, you know, maybe you're nowadays it's not, maybe it's, you're not listening to terrestrial radio beyond the talk shows like this one, but maybe you've got, I don't know, your MP3 player or whatever. You're, you're listening to tunes. Maybe you've got the top down if you've got a convertible, or if you're like me, you've got the sunroof open. That's how I was driving to work this morning. And you're listening, you've got the radio turned on loud, and you're listening to songs of the summer. And I thought we'd have some fun on the first 85-degree day at Friday that I can remember this year. All right. The song, your song, that is the soundtrack of the summer, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. And the way to think about this is you're in your car, you're in your backyard or whatever, and that song comes on and you go, my God, this is it. This is the song that I think of 
when I think about summer. And maybe it's a summer-related song. Maybe it's one of those songs that just touches a nerve and takes you back to when you were at summer camp or when you were, you know, on the beach when you were 20 years old. I don't know. You know, you can define it however you want. But let's have some fun as we move into the summer. The song that says summer to you, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. And, of course, one of the rules of this is you got to play it loud. Got to play it loud. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. There is there is no right or wrong answer. It's just whatever song resonates with you. As I always say during these segments, please, you know, don't overthink it. Sometimes people say, well, I'm just going to be silly if I call in with that. No, no, don't overthink it. And uh, also try to call quickly because our phone lines tend to jam up, and I want to get as many calls as we can. Heidi in Milwaukee. Heidi, you're first. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. My summertime song is Summertime by, I think it's Will Smith. I don't know what his, you know, right. music artist name was, but yeah, that, that song puts me in the mind of summer. Okay, just because it just kind of makes you want to put the top down or open the sunroof and go out and yeah. enjoy the sunshine, huh? Yes. Absolutely. And I love summertime. Thank you. 414-799-1620. That's the um, Accident Mortgage talk and text line. Tell you what, let me take a quick break. Gru is lining up the calls. We'll be back to get to as many of the calls as we possibly can. All right. Summer is right around the corner. Today is kind of a tease for that. The, your song that is your um, soundtrack of the summer. Stick around. This is Jeff Wagner. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Oh, this is going to be fun. Let's see. Nat King Cole, Lazy, Hazy, Crazy Days of Summer. Don Henley, The Boys of Summer. That's from Chris. Let's see. Hot Fun in the Summertime by Sly and the Family Stone. All great choices. Good Vibrations by the Beach Boys. 414-799-1620. Your song that is the soundtrack of summer. We start with Carol in Greendale. Carol, hello. Hi. Hi. Um, Indian Lakes by the Cowsets. <laughs> See, you and I are probably the only two people that still remember the cow sills, you know, the singing cow sills. Yep. We yeah. had a good time look, look, listening to that in the car. Right. Oh. Um, Okay. Yeah, Indian Lake. I see. I, Indian Lake is a scene you should make in the summertime. I remember that one. That's right. There you go. Thanks for calling. No, the Cowsills. Gru is producing the show. You have no idea who the Cowsills are, do you? No, it's a, they were they were a legitimate family band. Let's talk to Bill in Oshkosh. Bill, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Jeff. How you doing? I am well, thank you. Okay, your your soundtrack of the summer. What's the song? Surf City by Jan and Dean. Oh, yeah, I, as a matter of fact, I was listening to that one just the other night. It came on, I think I was listening to, it was in the 60s, right? That was Surf City, right? In the 60s? Yep. So I think I had the 60s on 6 or whatever on, 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 on the satellite radio, and that came on. Oh, yeah, you, right. You got everything. Now, thanks for the call. That's, that's you know, the contemporaries of the Beach Boys. Let's talk to Jim in Cedarburg. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Yeah, hi, Jeff. Say, I remember it was probably summer of like 1968, laying out at the Swimming City Pool, uh, Don McLean's American Pie, because the challenge, of course, was can you get to know all the lyrics right. by the time the summer is over? Right, and then figure out what he's talking about. You know, what 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 are the references to the the the, the people just left for the coast or all that type of stuff? Yeah, no, I no. No, I they, they no, I know. I, matter of fact, it's funny you should mention that one because just it would have been yesterday. I was driving around and American Pie came on the radio, and you know I I decided I was really going to sit there and I was going to 
listen, you know, to to the lyrics. I, I've I've you know, I mean, at various times I've known what some of the things referred to and all, and I was trying to listen to the lyrics. And candidly, I, I think maybe at one point in time I might have known what some of these things were and were referring to, but I'd kind of forgotten about them. And I mean to go back and try to figure that out. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's talk to Matt downtown. Matt, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff, thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Guys, uh, the Grateful Dead, U.S. Brewers. Okay. Nothing speaks more to the summer than, than a good old Grateful Dead. You know, well, that, right. I mean, thanks for calling. I mean, and, and of course, you know, around here, I mean, there's a lot of people, a lot of the deadheads that when they used to play Alpine Valley and stuff like that, um, just have a lot of the great, uh, great recollections. When I think of the Grateful Dead, I, I still think of, I always think of trucking. I think that's the song that comes to mind. Let me give you one of mine. And I, I have, I have several, but it's my program, so I guess I get to have a couple. But interestingly, it's Bob Seeger's Night Moves. And it, it's, it's interesting. And I, it's just that's a song that resonates because I remember when that song came out. I can remember that summer. It brings back it brings back vivid memories. It brings back sensory things and smells and stuff like that. It just whenever I hear night moves, it transforms me back to a summer of nineteen, you know, whatever. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's talk to uh, let's see Chris in Oconomowoc. Hi, Chris. My call. Yes, sir. Um, Steppen, Steppenwolf, Magic Carpet Ride. Okay, tell me why. Uh, well, I I was born in 66, and I want to say that song came out in like 68, so it was on the radio in my house when I was a kid, and then the craziest thing, I'm just out of high school, or maybe, or maybe even in high school, and I go to Summerfest, Steppenwolf is there, and they're playing that song, and it was the most <laughs> unbelievable thing. So now every time I hear Magic Carpet Ride, it takes me right back to yeah. Summerfest, and I haven't been to Summerfest in 25 years. Well, Chris, so, come on. You live in Oconomowoc. It's not that big a deal. Come on down and enjoy Summerfest for a day. I'll be honest with you. I do not like the amateurs there, and I'm yeah. not a big crowd guy. Well, I, I, like I crowds. Okay, well, I mean, thanks, Nicole. Well, I mean, my advice would you be, Don Smiley's listening, you'll like this, Give it a try. If you haven't been there for a couple decades, come on down during the day, for example. Matter of fact, I'm going to be broadcasting many of the weekdays uh, during Summerfest. So stop off and say hi. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to um, Kalise in Manitowoc. You're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. It's a police, and it's 89 in Manitowoc. Can you believe that? And I am walking on sunshine by Katrina and the waves. Okay. That, that's right. And it's kind of like you're singing. You, the, the song's going on in your head. You're going, it's, it's, it's 80. Really? It's 89 degrees in Manitowoc? Yeah. That's unbelievable. <laughs> it, it's, well, it's, yeah, it's 85. It's 85 here. But, man, Manitowoc, it's supposed to be cold. It's supposed to still be snowing in Manitowoc, isn't it? Yeah, that is true. That's why I am. And that song just gets me happy and hopping around. Walking on sunshine. It, it's a great one. No, thanks for calling. That's another, you know, great, um, you know, great soundtrack of the summer. No question about it. 414-799-1620. And by the way, I, I think you could, a number of people are calling in with various Beach Boys songs. You, you can you can look at pretty much any, any Beach Boys song. If I was going to pick one, I would, for me, it would be California Girls. But you know, you know, East Coast girls are hip and all that stuff. But um, I, it, it could be pretty much anyone. Um, Center field. Somebody just texted in. 
by John Fogarty. You could also, I think, say almost any Creedence song that you know kind of takes you back and would be a great soundtrack of the summer as well. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Piper in Waukesha. Piper, good afternoon. Hi. Hi. Mine is The Wanderer by Del Shannon. Okay, tell me why. When I was a kid, we drove to California, a uh, whole family of six, and my dad had made a mixed tape of some of his 45s. <laughs> and that was just one that we I remember having the windows down and singing to as a family. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm the wanderer. I'm the wanderer. I get around. Yeah, I remember it. I remember that as well. Isn't it funny how music can kind of take you back that way, though? I mean, you know, just think of that song. You remember being in the being in the car with your folks driving to California. Absolutely. That's cool. Now, thanks to the Wanderer um, by Del Shannon. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's talk to Dennis in Madison. Dennis, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Hey, when I think of a summertime song, it is "Summertime" by Mungo Jerry. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's you know, that's one of the. That's probably one of the classics that, that's there. And I, I, my guess is if you ask people to make a list of their top five, that song would pretty much probably appear on everybody's top five. It sure does on mine. It's, yeah. it's all, I, all I conjure up is a nice, warm summer day looking at the girls. Uh, that That's right. No, thanks. Uh, right. And now, of course, summertime, I'm... I, I it's it's Friday afternoon. I don't want to get called into a meeting. Summertime, because of some of the lyrics, has gotten very – a lot of people think – I mean, Summertime is not a politically correct song anymore. If you go back and you know, listen to the lyrics, you know, if her daddy's rich, take her out for a meal, that kind of stuff. And, and so there's a number of people who are saying, well, they shouldn't be playing Summertime on the radio anymore because they find it offensive and things like that. To which I'm like, well, it's it's a song. Max in Milwaukee. Max, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, how you doing? Real well, thank you. <laughs> you know, the last caller stole my thunder since I was a little kid when Mungo Jerry came on the radio. It was just like, it's summertime. Yeah. Every time I hear that song. Although the cow shows is a close second. <laughs> Indi- um, you're, so you're back with Indian Lake, too, huh? <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, man, I tell you what, that's. That's a classic tune, and they don't play it that often anymore. But uh, no, maybe California Dreaming. How about that one? Oh, Cal- right. No, thanks. I mean, California Dreaming by the Mamas and Papas. Nothing wrong with that one as well. Al in New Berlin. Al, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Uh, Margaritaville, Jimmy Buffett. Well, you know, you're talking to you know a premier parrothead here, and yes. Um, Mar- Margaritaville does say summer. You know, interestingly, I'm a big Buffett fan. That's not one of my favorite songs, but I- I'll give you another one that he plays all the time. It's a cover of the Van Morrison song, Brown Eyed Girl. Brown Eyed Girl, to yeah. me, screams summer as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, no, thanks. It's funny. Margaritaville, I understand everybody loves Margaritaville and the nuts at the concerts. I just, I just think he does a lot more interesting songs but i mean brown eyed girl by van morrison uh, if if you were asking me my my top couple it would be brown eyed girl by van morrison um it would be uh <laughs> california girls by the beach boys and bob seger's night moves but whatever your song of the summer is here's my advice do me a favor figure out what it is find it whether it's on an mp3 player or a download or whatever Play it sometime this weekend. Crank it up and say, Jeff, you're right. I'm ready for summer, and this helps put me in the mood. When we come back, we're going to find out what John McCure has on his mind on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Please stick around.